Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk. We guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.io so we can talk about building your SaaS MVP today. Today, we have Jane Portman. Jane is the co-founder of UserList, a tool that helps SaaS founders be awesome at their customer messaging. Previously, a UI consultant and an author of four books. Jane also raises three kids and runs a UI breakfast podcast. Today, we'll talk with Jane about UserList, how she came up with the idea for, for and built the MVP and found funding to start growing UserList to where it is now. How are you today, Jane? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Jordi. It's a pleasure. So maybe just give me a quick intro about who you are. Where are you calling from? I'm based geographically in Russia, and I'm actually Russian by origin, but for the last eight years, I've been working online and uh, mostly with the U.S. clients as a consultant, founder, author, etc. Okay, great. And where'd you learn your English? It's like perfect. Good school learning, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, Russia, I was an exchange. Stu- I was an exchange oh, student. Um, really? I went okay. To high school in South Carolina when I was sixteen for a year. <laughs> okay. Great. And then I came back to New York City for a couple of summers um, as a student. Yeah, and then. It was so amazing to come back for conferences and such later, not as a broke student, but like as a decent professional. So it's a wonderful comeback. <laughs> great, great. So you, I gather your background is sort of UI. Like, tell me how you got started in UI and um, sort of your journey to where you are right now. Absolutely. I started as a designer pretty early. Well. The actual start was in that American high school. We we had graphic design classes and I learned Photoshop there, etc. And then yeah. when I came back, I was already kind of separated from my parents mentally. I really wanted to get a job. And when I was 16, still in high school, I got my first design job mm-hmm. and uh, spent about, I don't know, maybe six years uh, throughout my college uh, working there and grew up into a creative director of the same agency. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, I had my first son and I suddenly got really burned out Mm -hmm. with the agency work. So I decided to pursue this um, solo consultant career path. And by Mm -hmm. that time I had really good UI UX uh, skills, but zero knowledge of how the ecosystem works, how to find work online, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So spend a little bit of time on Upwork then uh, grew there. Then I wrote my first book and promised myself to never go back to Upwork and like charge decent daily rates, weekly rates, etc. There really were 
great people I learned from, such as uh, Patrick McKenzie and Joanna Weeb, who taught, uh, who gave the basics of like how to write copy online, how to present yourself as a consultant, etc. And then yeah. uh, over the next few years, uh, wrote more books. Uh, wrote one for um, InVision. Uh, was mm. called Fundamental UI Design. And mm. That kind of kick-started my audience quite a bit. Um, I did have a mailing list before, but mm -hmm. InVision really brought a lot of people to my site. And about that time, I also started UI Breakfast Podcast. Mm. And that's been running for over six years by now. We're really? Just, uh, that's great. That's uh, we're great. Just, uh, we're just hitting episode two. 200 this Christmas, I believe. So that was quite a journey. <laughs> that's great. Is it been, is it a weekly show? Yeah, for the last few years, I've been publishing really consistently. Um, uh -huh. There was a period when I had my third child when I switched to bi-weekly for a while. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the last couple of years were back to weekly. You're back to weekly. And how's the growth been for you? It's like a giant slow snowball of its own. You know, it's not a, a project I can ever abandon now because the audience is pretty massive and uh, we're, we have good places in the charts uh, in iTunes for even in the roots like design category. We're in the 10 sometimes and uh, we're hitting one, two, three uh, occasionally in some separate countries. So it's really a great pleasure to just watch this project grow. And I think it kind of outgrew me really personally. Now I have this uh, big audience that I'm responsible for. Uh -huh. And I also really enjoy uh, having meaningful conversations with the professionals in the design and SaaS field. So it's quite a big aspect of my life. I really have built a lot of exciting relationships through that as well. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Encouraging for a young podcaster like myself. Not that I'm young, but the show is young. I've only been going to say this, I'm just posting probably around show 50 or so. And it's starting to, it's starting to pick up. I think, you know, people are starting to email me more and more now. So, so, so it's good. It's encouraging to hear another podcaster that's more experienced. Thank you. Great. So, so tell me how you went from UI breakfast and doing U, UI stuff to user list. I've always been hanging around in the uh, company slash ecosystem of uh, SaaS founders. Um, I focused on web application design as a consultant, and most of my friends were uh, founders. So I was really looking forward to having something on my own for quite a while. But it's not as easy to start one. So my first product was called uh, Tiny Reminder in 2017, maybe late 16. And mm -hmm. it was a little productivity tool that I sold and it didn't go anywhere. But I learned a lot of lessons. And in the fall of 2017, with all these lessons learned from, from the previous SaaS, and uh, Benedict, my co-founder, by the way, he was um, the hired developer for that project. So mm -hmm. I really knew that he's a awesome person to work with. Mm -hmm. This idea for useless was conceived. And um, I invited Benedict on board as a co-founder. And thankfully, he said yes. And we also had the third person at the time, um, Claire Sullentrop. Um, she's a pretty famous marketer. She was uh, director of marketing at Calendly. And now mm -hmm. she runs a Forget the Funnel and a few other projects of hers. She now participates as an advisor. She was uh, okay. with us at the early stage. So at the moment, it's the two of us. Uh, so that's how UserList was conceived in 2017. And uh, it's been an exciting three-year journey by now. We officially launched um, in August of last year. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And uh, have been growing ever since. And then we joined uh, the Tiny Seed Accelerator this spring. We raised a little bit of seed money. And uh, okay. we can talk about that too. Yeah, great. I do want to talk about that. So it sounds like Benedict, he came with you from the other SaaS. So um, what what's the stack for, for a user list? All right. I'm not an engineer, uh, but it's built on Ruby. And, uh, and okay. the details you can ask Benedict for. But he's a truly brilliant engineer and... Um, UserList comes with a pretty complicated behavior-based engine that evaluates the data consistently and uh, decides like when to send emails, etc. So all that infrastructure he's responsible for, and he's really great at uh, doing that. Okay, great. So um, essentially then, how did you structure the MVP then paying for Benedict's time? Or can you walk me through how you, let me, let's talk about how you came up with the idea. Like, What's the problem that user list is solving? Um, um, presumably, you know, it's something different than MailChimp or ActiveCampaign or any one of these other autoresponders. Can you tell me what the problem is that you're solving? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first to mention, Benedict is, uh, he's not in the paid position. Well, we're paying ourselves salaries, but he's my co-founder. So we're both uh, full-time at the moment. He was my developer for hire previously in 2017. And these days we're uh, partners on this. So UserList was originally intended to solve one of the pains I experienced firsthand. And that was um, being able to see your users, uh, who they are, segment them and uh, communicate with them using automated email. Of course, you can do that with any like generic ESP, such as uh, Active Campaign, Drip, uh, even MailChimp to a certain extent. But none of these are built for SaaS products. And uh, the only really good alternative was Intercom back then, was, but it was super expensive and yeah. not even pretty by then. Like they did redesign it since, but at that moment it was not even great to use. And I was amazed that there is no other product out there who'd be more aligned with this kind of small to medium sized SaaS company and um, the problems that we have and uh, the goals of you know managing user base, etc. And uh, that was how we started. So, so Intercom is a, is a competitor then? Definitely to a certain extent, but they're completely different scale, obviously, and right. they have really gone upmarket lately and have collected a gazillion of unhappy customers. Um, they are an amazing brand, but a lot of people are flying ship because they're not addressing the audience of small businesses anymore in a good way. That's right. My understanding is that, um, that it's good and solid tech, but all I hear is people complain about the price, you know, like $1,000 a month or something for an autoresponder seems a little... Granted, it's more, you know, I don't, I've never used it, but so you're essentially trying to hit the, the smaller, the smaller SASs and you focus exclusively on SAS then? Yes. I think it's our primary benefit because focusing on SAS allows us to ship a much more concise, nice looking and simple product that's still very powerful. Because Intercom, it can be used for any kinds of businesses and it can do anything like from support to docs to everything. We just tackle the communications part. So what previously was called Intercom Engage. Okay. And uh, also the um, the what they call Intercom Platform itself, which is basically user management, showing uh, people's profiles, timelines and segments 
Um, that's not what you can find in other analytic tools, for example. So that's a pretty specific thing that we also do. Okay. And like, I'm a SaaS and I use active campaign. Like, what do you mean that, um, you can't, uh, use active campaign or some like how specifically, you can. <laughs> well, how specifically are you addressing a SaaS problem? Because I'm just trying to understand that part. Um, we do have a typical user in an email marketing system is a rather faceless identity of a person with an email address, maybe some personalization fields, and you can't really like track what they do in a proper way. On the other hand, we offer really deep API integration. So on their mm -hmm. server side, you can send uh, behavior data in form of properties and events to us. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on that, we can send behavior-based emails. And this year, we also introduced in-app messages as an additional channel. So inside your web application, you can also send um, like little I don't know, pop-up messages, like in the corner, not okay. chat, but um, but also an in-product channel for displaying messages. Uh, okay, Basically, you yeah. can weave your own onboarding story and combine email messages and in-app notifications in the same kind of uh, structure. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely not something that uh, Active Campaign is doing, or at least that I know of. Now you're shifting my understanding back to like intercom, like. Uh, when I go to somebody's site, they're, you know, hey, have you seen this new feature or something like that? It's sort of communications, not only email, it's it's really inside the app sort of communication. Yeah, yes. we have a pretty firm stance on, on the chat and uh -huh. I cannot promise that we will not have it in future. But at the moment, um, and what we learn from the founders that are our customers is that real time chat support is not always necessary for small uh, bootstrap founders because it really introduces a lot of stress and everything. You know, this kind of immediate response expectation. It's um, true, yeah. And a lot of other aspects that make their life not great. So at the moment, uh, we do have that as a channel, but it's a one-way channel. We don't offer chat or support desk. And I'm, we're not like set in stone on that, but at the moment, that's our philosophy. <laughs> right. Okay. That makes sense. But it's always, you know, if you roll it out later, no, certainly I'm sure there will be a segment of your customers that will find it useful. Okay. So Benedict then uh, started with the MVP. How long did it take to build the MVP, would you say? I'm glad that you mentioned the MVP uh, because I can't really say that we had an MVP to validate the need for the product. The way we validated the need was by doing a whole bunch of customer interviews uh, early on uh, before even starting to build the product. And everything after that was essentially building the actual product um, from the ground up, like I don't know, graceful improvement or something like that. So it never was really a very bare bones product. It was like pretty minimal, but it was rather feature uh, complete from very early days because our software delivers email on behalf of our customers. That's a super big responsibility in our mind. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't like have a half-baked something. We always strived for maybe not super large number of features, but a certain level of polish and uh, like being well tested and such. So we were in the closed beta for almost a year until we launched last year. 
So I guess you can call it MVP, but it was really a good, solid product just in a closed beta. So we were building up features and uh, learning from our early customers. And so the early customers, how did you find them? Like how many did you have? It was a handful. So it was like, it was, the number was growing, but it was about, I don't know, maybe five, 10 people. Um, Ruben Gamus, you, you caught his name on the website was one oh, of them. Oh, he so. one. Okay. So he's uh, one of the champion users. Cause yeah. I mean, Ruben's a, <laughs> Ruben's a serious SaaS uh, master himself. So to have him in as one of your champion customers must've been a huge benefit. I mean, he could go off and build this himself, right? So, I mean, the fact that he's in there telling you guys what to do is uh, is huge. Yes, absolutely. I should say that um, the rest of our early customers were uh, no less exciting in that term that we've been in this uh, community for quite a while and we have a lot of founder friends. So mm -hmm. a lot of these people were um, some people who what, know us what personally. What community is that? What community? I would say that revolves around MicroConf uh, and uh, Startups okay. for the Rest of Us podcast and Bootstrap um, ah, okay. so and Emmy Hoy. Yeah, Rob Walling, okay. Emmy Hoy and uh, Brennan Dunn, you know, that kind of crowd, if that ever okay. <laughs> means something. Well, how are you, <laughs> what does Rob have a um, Facebook group? How are you guys chatting? Like, where's the networking built around? Um, before it that, it was mostly meeting twice a year at microconfs. But okay. at the moment, last couple of years, they really took it to the next level. So I believe there is a massive microconf Slack at the moment. And okay. everybody can join that. And there are uh, weekly live events and other like amazing things like that. Okay, great. So are you, are you a member of, of that Slack community as well? As well, yep. Yeah, I've not joined any Slack community. You you recommend it? Anyone that's listening, that's a good one. Definitely, definitely recommend the, the the top communities. I think are just really awesome is this one. Then Indie Hackers, definitely. Okay. And uh, I think these are top. Then there is Product Led Growth uh, by Wes Bush. That's a little bit a different story. There are more people who are professional marketers in there, but it's also focused on SaaS, and he's built a nice community around that so probably right. these three are really nice and the indie hacker that one you just go because i've just started using it myself there's a lot of stuff going on in there is that where people just post in there it's more almost like a reddit or something right it's just people kind of posting in there it's like a message board more is there a slack community as well for that um there must be. Uh, to be entirely honest, I don't participate daily in any of these because uh, it's. I'm right. one of those people that uh, it's working. a lot of energy yeah. spent, yeah, and yeah, we yeah, exactly. put put a lot of like heads down and do marketing and other things for our own product instead. <laughs> so we just yeah. check in uh, there occasionally. Um, but that's good, but that's well. essentially where you got these sort of champion users. You had them beta, uh, so you were in beta for about a year or so and and then when did you know that what like things were ready to launch like what was was sort of tell me about that like okay let's move out of beta were you running out of money or what was going on um <laughs> you you know that story that you're not if you're not embarrassed of your product that you launched too late well uh -huh. we were not embarrassed of our product so we probably launched too late and oh, uh, you did. yeah we were we had nice a uh, feature uh, feature set and we were still missing some of the uh some of the stuff but i don't know if it's the right way to build things but we spent a great deal of time upfront first incorporating properly 
doing all the legal papers, uh, like GDPR compliance and everything to, you know, start accepting people's customers, customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we build all the help docs and uh, templates and worksheets, all this infrastructure we had ready. Like, it's definitely not scrappy that we launched with. <laughs> okay, so um, like the FAQs are already pre-written and things. Yeah. A lot of people don't have that stuff. Uh, I la- <laughs> I've launched... I built an MVP in, in, in about three weeks and I launched and I'm still fixing things now. So, so the downfall of that is that I was like, okay, you just have it for free right now, you know, until I get all the stuff fixed. But, but that's, that's interesting to hear you say that. So, so you would recommend, you would tell your former self, okay, let's launch sooner and kind of fix things on the fly or what, what's your lessons learned for that? I wouldn't say that we regret launching that because uh, we were in closed beta but it was a paid beta uh, so okay. we were so charging were those people fun, yeah. like uh, the validation that that's required was definitely in place but we did need this time to be confident in the product that we have so i think it, i wouldn't really change anything in that aspect of time okay okay that's good tell me about how you structured your partnership uh, do you use any any guidelines for that as much as you can tell me, um, any lessons learned for, you know, bringing on a co-founder and forming your partnership structure and things like that? Oh, yes. We had, uh, we spent a great deal of effort uh, figuring out how to do this uh, in the right way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this joke when a Russian, an American, a German walk into the bar, that's like three of our co-founders at the early stage. So we really uh-huh. had to figure out where to incorporate what to do what it doesn't look like to own an international startup being in russia you know and in germany for example yeah yeah um so we did decide and and there is a stripe atlas uh which really simplifies that but we couldn't use it because it doesn't work with russian uh citizens unfortunately Mm -hmm. so we had to do like (laughs) stripe atlas on our own we basically um, we hired a lawyer and incorporated as a C corp in Georgia, so we're a U.S. company. That was in Georgia, two years in the U.S. Ago. Yeah. Why Georgia? I mean, it's not even tax free, is it? Um, like, is it's it- pretty. It's pretty fine in terms of the taxes. Um, yeah. What made you decide to be an American company, U.S. based? Um, well. Both myself and Benedict, as consultants, we worked primarily with the U.S. audience. Like a lot of our okay. clients are in the states, and uh, Claire, our co-founder, uh, she was from Georgia. From, okay. She lived in Atlanta okay. at that time, and uh, I watched a talk by some uh, some lawyers who specialized in international situations like this. They mm-hmm. had a list of states that had kind of loyal legal situation in term- when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, I don't know notary. And other aspects, and uh, mm-hmm. Georgia was one of them. So that's when we decided <laughs> to to okay. go with it. And okay. another thing uh, we learned is that when you say we're a startup incorporated in Delaware, uh, is it Delaware that everybody yeah. is in? Uh, De- Delaware, uh, Wyoming's one. I yeah, think it's like a huge yeah. red flag for any oh. foreign like tax authority. So oh, we wanted okay. to go that's more mainstream, like civil looking kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> Okay, got it, got it. How did you structure your equity in the beginning? Um, was, did you vet, do any vesting or anything yes, like that? Yes, yes, yeah. we did have, uh, like, when we were starting out in the fall of 17, uh, we we read a lot about the general best practices and how to do that. We did, like, a few drills, like, we had a workshop and we 
had alignment of the goals of our company, how we envision it. And there's a method in one article that says that never split the equity equally. So the way you start is like you do like 33% each, uh, or I think it's points, like some kind of number of points each. And Mm -hmm. then you get like two points for the person who started uh, recruiting others, like two points who who had the idea, like two points who brought in like social connections, like Mm -hmm. two points uh, for this and that. You're earning it. You're essentially Um, earning it. It's not, it's not earning, but it helps you like uh, end up with different percentages. So we have slightly different percentages per person because okay. of that. Okay. Uh, and did you, did you establish that over a certain period of time? Yeah, we it- started, uh, we, st- we established those percentages of ownership back in 2017 and we had a four year vesting schedule. Okay. And a year later, when Claire prioritized another project over Usalist and she w- wanted to quit, this vesting thing just came in Works super handy. Yeah. Like we had no questions about how this can work from there because mm-hmm. there's a number, there's a vesting schedule, that's how much percent she's left with, and uh, that's how it works from there. That really solved a lot of problems that could have arisen, and we're still, you know, friends and good partners with her. And it could have been different if we didn't have right, testing, right? <laughs> right. It definitely could have been, you know, if it was 30, 33% and she left, that would probably have been a major sticking point. And now you're, she's still on, she's still interested because she's still an owner. She's an advisor, as you as you mentioned Yeah, before, she jumps so. on the call eventually uh, yeah. s- from time to time. But it's a pretty intense operations uh, thing that we run. So we do- she doesn't participate in daily stuff. Uh, it's right, a lot of, right. a lot of yeah, things that yeah, are going yeah, on of there. <laughs> Was there a framework that you followed? In terms of uh, like... that, you, How you just... I mean, you mentioned two points for this. It sounds like there must have been type, some type of uh, guidelines or framework. There was an article and I can uh, can send you a link. Uh, actually, we wrote um, we wrote an update on our own blog uh, following those steps on how to, you know, how we decided on this, how we decided on the country, and the, all the links are included. So we can send yeah, you that. Yeah, if you would there. send me that, it would be great. I'll include it in the show notes for anyone that's interested. Um uh, I, I myself, am, we're, we're starting to experiment with slicing pie. Have you heard of that? No, what is it? It's the same sort of thing. So what you do is you essentially, uh, it's a software program, and there's a guy who wrote a book on it, but it's for startups, you know, micro startups, guys at startups. So essentially, if, let's say, like, you know, you and I are partners, and I paid 2000 for the MVP and you paid a thousand, it gives me more points. So it's like a moving scale of equity. So at one time, like if you quit and I kept working on it, your equity get would get more and more diminished mm-hmm. um, essentially. And I know that Dan Martell, who's uh, I'm sure you're familiar with is another big SaaS guy is supporting it. And so if anyone's listening, slicingpie.com is a great system. I'm starting to use it myself. So you can check that out as well. Uh, there, uh, there is another aspect that you mentioned is the cash investment because, of course, uh, we couldn't be cash sustainable from day one. So, in addition to uh, distributing the ownership, we would also make cash contributions uh, proportional to that ownership, and we made sure that that remains the same way. So we okay. made uh, we we call these founder loans. So mm-hmm. maybe at a bit later stage, we're going to pay them back. Not not in okay. a giant, like some four digit numbers, but you know, gave us enough runway 
for operational costs while we are still building it. That's right. And in the US, I believe if you're paying back loans, there's less tax consequences as well. Wouldn't be I suppose, seen as a, I suppose yeah. this shouldn't be taxed because it's barely That's a loan. right. It's a loan. That's right. You're paying back a loan, which it's legitimate as well. Um, okay. So how did the launch go? Here you are. You've got your power beta users, Ruben Gomez. How did the launch go? The launch was amazing in terms of the community support. We were number one of the day on product hunt properly. Okay. How so was that, that experience? Was, uh, how much uh, time did that take to get set up and stuff? It's not our first rodeo, for, neither for myself nor for Benedict. I've launched multiple times with the books and, and everything. So we knew the drill. Yeah, time. yeah, okay. with other products. So we knew the drill and how to do that. And yeah. there is a blog, there is another blog post we wrote about it is how we orchestrated like what to do and what to focus on, etc. Uh -huh. And uh, it all boils down to that. Um, you decide what your launch goal is. Mm -hmm. And in our case, like you can, for example, one of your goals can be drive email list signups, or it can be drive trials. Or in our case, we knew uh, already that our kind of product doesn't usually imply like impulse purchases or impulse adoption. So mm -hmm. we, our goal for the launch was just to spread the word that user list is out of beta because the mm -hmm. question of trust is definitely important um, mm -hmm. for us. So we wanted to spread the message that user list is out of beta and just get on people's radar so that when it's time for them to pick their founder tools, they know that user list is already available. And uh, there is uh, like, you may email our own marketing list, like I emailed UI breakfast email list, we submitted it to some of our fellow communities and things like that. A lot of mm -hmm. things actually that we did it was pretty, pretty wonderful. It was my first time getting to number one at product hunt was a thrilling, but and how um, did that help you? I mean, like, how uh, many users should you get? Nobody should think that product hunt launches give you like immediate users. I can only imagine that being true for like some very general purpose, uh, you know, basic productivity apps or something that ca everybody can adopt right away. Like yeah. useless is by no means one of those. So right, uh, right. we barely had a few trials in the day off, but that's exactly what we anticipated. So we weren't right. really bummed about that. Okay, good. And so, so is that when you sort of, felt, did you feel like, okay, we're, we're out of the woods now, or you're sort of like, what were your sort of your goals and how was your MRR, you know, sort of in that first launch period? I, I unfortunately, our policy is not sharing the precise numbers, but um, it was pretty small. Like we didn't, uh, we, You're didn't, not cash flow we were not, a, yeah. we were not a massive company at that stage at all. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've grown pretty massively ever since. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, at what point did, um, did Tiny Seed come into the picture and why did you decide to go with them? Tiny Seed was on the arena. They already were live with their first batch in 2019. And among those first batch, we had a lot of friends who were going there. And yeah. uh, in the fall of 2019, we all met at uh, MicroConf in Croatia, in Dubrovnik. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a wonderful conference. Firsthand, we had all this opportunity to uh, meet all the Tiny Seed founders in person and ask all questions possible about how Tiny Seed's going for them. Mm -hmm. whether like what the drawbacks are, what the benefits are, etc. And um, the second breakthrough moment was that 
no longer we had to explain what Userlist is. And mm -hmm. uh, we, we would say like, oh, I'm founder of Userlist. And they were like, oh, Userlist, really great. Like, I know Userlist. And, uh, really? Okay, that's, that's pretty, good. Uh, that's pretty amazing because we've been doing the same for the previous two years as well. But we had to explain what we do and that's like a new product and such. So when that finally, the name got out, we were so proud of ourselves that we could finally not yeah, have to explain what recognition. it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Was that through Tiny Seed? Where were you getting that name recognition from? Um, just a lot of hard work getting on uh, podcast shows, uh, marketing, marketing, more marketing and uh, okay. things like that. Um, it was a pretty slow ramp up in terms of building the brand. But last fall was when we finally felt that we're getting there. And it's even better as of uh, today, uh, one year after. So you, we were on the Tiny Seed discussion. That's when we decided to apply for Tiny Seed Batch 2. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we did in the fall, uh, or what is it, December, November last year. Yeah. And then we had those interviews and everything, and we secretly knew that we were in around New Year, but mm -hmm. we couldn't talk about it. And it was not until March that uh, all the announcements were made, and uh, all the paperwork also took quite a while. And um, then official program kickoff happened in the 1st of May or something like that, I believe. Okay. And so how much were they able to give you for startup capital? Uh, sure. I think this number is public, so I can talk. Um, if it was a single founder, that would be 120. Uh, okay. But for each additional founder, they would give um, another 60K. So we raised one, 180 uh, for, okay, for 180. this year. Okay. Roughly speaking, uh, like uh, without precise numbers, it gives us uh, minimal salaries for a year to focus on this. And okay. uh, also some additional cash to spend on you know, paid marketing channels and other things. So it was very handy. Is that what you essentially took that was for just to give yourselves like some working capital so that you're not just, you know, you can focus on this. You don't have to keep a side hustle. Benedict doesn't have to do like paid contract work. Yeah, we like both uh, for the first two years, we did paid uh, contract work on the side. So like, uh, to keep things, uh, keep the lights going. On that uh, microconf in Croatia, we both decided to go full time uh, starting January, regardless of tiny seed. But yeah. um, that would just have been uh, six months of that, uh, you know, focus uh -huh. work to see where it goes. But tiny seed gave us the opportunity to extend that runway by year, which we're very grateful for. And okay. also when we were getting the wire transfer, it was like end of March. Remember what's what's happening in the end of March? Like oh, the yeah, world was course. crumbling yeah. down. That's and we were right. like, Oh, this is such a crazy time. <laughs> we hope yeah. it goes through fine and you know and uh -huh. when it did, we felt very incredibly grateful to be in this situation of uh, you know right some you guaranteed salary you just sort of <laughs> ducked the wire as it were um can you tell me how much tiny seeds requires in in terms of equity i mean are we talking single digits or teens or what do they um, ask for in equity i would say roughly I think this number is unique for any every every company and the evaluation, but it's between I don't know ten to fifteen uh, something okay. that, something reasonable. like that percent. Yeah. Uh, very reasonable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. And and what sort of um, have you been happy with the sort of role of the mentorship role that they play for you and the network abilities that you get from it? 
extremely happy. Uh, you have it, yeah. It's better than we thought. So firsthand, the cash is nice, of course, to, to grow and to have salaries, but we were afraid that it might be some bureaucracy or some unnecessary reporting or, you know, whatever people are afraid of when they get on uh, investors. Uh-huh. So none of that, but the mentorship and uh, the community they provide was massive. Like the the peers from our cohort, they're the most qualified group to get feedback from uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to like uh, discussing business problems. And uh, whenever we hit a block or like crisis or point uh, when we need to make decisions, we just you know, we pull up the mentor list and get calls with some of these amazing people. And that's been hugely helpful. We've already done that quite a few times. Uh, for example, early on in the year, we had a conversation with April Dunford. Yeah. And uh, like, no way we could get a paid consultation with April Dunford as a bootstrap company, right? It's a, it's a fairly... That's right. That's right. <laughs> she, she's a really uh, not from our uh, like peer circle kind of person. Right, right. <laughs> For anyone listening, we had April on the show. You could search in there, but she's a brilliant positioning expert. And really the only one that I know that really talks about being a positioning expert too if i'm uh i've not researched that much into it but she's very good at at positioning specifically how did that sort of um that conversation with april or that advice that she gave to you how did that help you and tell me you know sort of walk me through the story of that um, we actually had two stages with, with April. This spring, we had a conversation with her uh, about marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, like, I can't say anything extremely revolutionary about it. There were some aspects that we discussed about, you know, comparing Intercom and UserList, but it's probably too long to go into details. But the year before that, before Tiny Seed, before she was a mentor and everything, mm-hmm. um, we had a copy of her book, Obviously Awesome. Uh, Claire mm-hmm. brought it to the table and we followed her book, uh, her like 10 steps or something, uh, mm-hmm. made, made, did the exercise. And that brought us some interesting results in how we talk about our software. It was a pretty dramatic improvement in how we get our message across. Is it mostly sort of copy? I, I've read the book myself as well, but I'm, I'm a little hazy on what the exact 10 steps were. But the changes that you made... Sounds like mostly sort of copy changes and how quickly did you see the um, the results? The surface layer is probably the copy on the landing page, you know, but um, we did all these, uh, we did a spreadsheet with our features and matching them to like value delivered and the value clusters and uh, the audience that it can be potentially a fit for. And what it helped us to do was to figure out exactly what, our product focuses on. So so we, as a result, we focused on the messaging aspect. And Mm -hmm. um, by doing that, we could safely abandon certain features like analytics that we could have pursued, we could have spent time on that. But by defining ourselves as a customer messaging product, we safely left some of these features aside and were much deeper focused on a specific aspect and building in that direction. That really helps when you have limited resources as a bootstrap SaaS. And uh, we also, by evaluating the features that we have or do not plan to have, we figured out that small to medium SaaS companies would be our best fit buyers. And uh, people who have bigger marketing teams will probably not so much enjoy our product because 
we are rather simple and they have advanced needs like A-B testing and we don't have A-B testing or mm -hmm. other things like that. So at the surface, yes, helped us refine the landing page copy. As a result, we had the product agenda and the product roadmap much more refined and focused. So it was a massive, massive shift. And uh, what it resulted in was that in conversations with people, previously we would call ourselves behavior-based email automation for SaaS. And then mm -hmm. we would go into details that it only happens after the user signs up. And uh, it was quite complex and uh, challenging to get this message across. Mm -hmm. And after this exercise, we called ourselves customer messaging for SaaS. And that's much more transparent. And that instantly brought us to the level of Intercom and other tools. And it was just easier to position our product in the minds of, of the audience. So it was really very helpful. And we wrote a detailed blog post outlining like those steps and uh, the spreadsheets that we filled out and all the exercises. So right. welcome to reading if you want to. <laughs> okay, good. And, and April's got some, I think that she probably has some worksheets on that too, for anyone that is thinking about maybe dialing in their product market to fit. That's a great exercise to do. And it's not just copywriting, as you say, it, it's a lot more. It's sort of really getting a, a, a firm grasp of what your product is meant to do, verticals that you should actually be approaching, things like that. So it's a great exercise. Tell me more about Tiny Seed. Is, was there ever a time where you was like, well, I just want to be purely bootstrapped. I don't want to have outside money. Or was that never a consideration for you? When we started out three years ago, we were really firmly set on being bootstrap because mm -hmm. we knew that's possible and we wanted to, you know, call our own shots forever mm -hmm. <laughs> and such. But uh, with time and just observing the that our uh, fellow founders, fellow bootstrap founders took that uh, tiny seed money for batch one and they were still bootstrapped and nice, like nothing happened. Uh, uh -huh. We, and, But it was great to have additional resources to leverage and to accelerate your product. Then we suddenly realized that that can be an option. And there's been no loss of control for you since you I did would, this? I don't no. really think that, by no means, no. No, I mean, like, if there's any distributions, it's not like you have to, like, report to a board or anything like that. Or um, We do have monthly investor updates, but it's a good practice anyways. Like, um, we right. also send the same update to a few other people who are, or, like, informal peers or mentors. So it's nothing too bad at all. It's barely... Uh, but so you would say the experience thing. has been has been 100% positive for you? I would say so. Like, the, yeah. okay, the paperwork requires some <laughs> some energy, I would say, because mm -hmm. the due diligence uh, is a pretty intense process, but that's not because of tiny seed, that's because, you know, such process is always formalized. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to be, uh, to have all your ducks in a row, and we did, but then you have to deliver those ducks uh, to their lawyers and sign all the huge agreements and things like that. So that was intensive. But beyond that, uh, it was a wonderful journey. Okay. And costs associated? There wasn't really costs associated? I mean, there obviously were with the, you were the one having to come up with it. Was it coming out of the funding or how did that work? Uh, most of the papers came from their lawyers and they have great lawyers, uh, but okay. we also had a lawyer on our side checking those papers and making sure that aligns. So we paid those costs, um, but ultimately Reasonable, that's yeah. all, it was not giant, like definitely doable. Right. Okay. Great. And so what's coming up for you now? 
like where's your sort of growth strategy going in direction now for where you're at? So this year we added in-app messaging that we discussed before. Uh, uh-huh. That was one of the big things we wanted to do. Then uh, we focused a lot on marketing, launched um, a new podcast that's uh, in season one right now. It's called Better mm-hmm. Done Than Perfect. We have some great guests out there like ADPNR, Rand Fishkin and others. So mm-hmm. I invite the listeners to head over, check it out. So that's I've, seen, took- I've seen your marketing around somewhere. So I, <laughs> I like the name. I think the name is great. We really swear by that phrase these days because both myself and Benedict, mm-hmm. we're good partners and we're both uh, perfectionists, which means like we tend to ship things later than we should. And right. we're always like, let's live by this uh, phrase. And uh, I'm not sure what came first, but definitely it's one of our big, <laughs> big phrases to well, go by. Well, it sounds to me <laughs> like you learned that sort of lesson in your beta period too, as yeah. you were saying, you launched yeah. too late. So so it's just to keep top of mind, okay, let's push this feature out better done than perfect. Yeah. And uh, then in terms of the features, we are working on something um, really important that we're planning to launch in January, which is the support for company accounts, which means that you can structure users as as company accounts, uh, have many-to-many relationships between them Mm -hmm. and other things. And virtually no software, except for maybe Intercom and a handful of others, support that. And that is a very important thing for a lot of our customers who run account-based software that can have Mm -hmm. the owner and other teams and things like that. Because when we talk about user onboarding, for example, we always imagine single users that adopts the product, but we forget that there is a whole team that might be the user who handles the billing, might be someone who does the content, another person does this, and distributing the messaging fairly and um, based on their behavior. It's a really interesting like field that has not been touched a lot. And um, like most of the advice is pretty generic, just relates to one user. So we want to tackle this company feature we okay. it's already in beta testing like we're mm. really putting a final touch on this these days mm. so we're planning mm-hmm. to launch it after the holidays okay great how about um in terms of funding and on the horizon do you have sort of uh any expectations or ideas are you now do you feel like your your cash flow coming in now is enough for you to self-fund or what's your ideas for growth in that area of your company we still have almost half of the uh, tiny seed period to go. So okay. it's a little bit too early to predict, but uh, like it's equally possible that we either, we are definitely not fully sustainable at the moment be- if you give uh, take salaries into consideration. So like right. everything is nice except for founder salaries, which we need. So we really want to grow to a certain number and um, We'll go from there. It depends. Things things do change very fast. And right. uh, we can experience painful slow growth or we can experience some rapid improvement. Like we never know what part of the hockey stick we're in uh, until That's we right. go until How's we get COVID there. been for you? Um, thankfully, fine. Like we're in that middle that didn't really suffer. Um, and uh-huh. We're not slack either. Like we didn't grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tenfold. Um, yeah. So we're fine. It's not been okay. that bad for us. Great. That's good to hear. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jane. We're getting close to the end of the hour. Is there anything that you can leave our listeners with, maybe in terms of tips on going out and finding their own 
sort of in, investors. Any last tips that you can think of or advice that you'd like to leave us with? Well, when it comes to sign tiny seed, uh, that's definitely a great choice for early stage startups. And they're just about to recruit the next batch. So please go ahead over to tinyseed.com and uh, participate. And um, we are not experts at finding investors, really, but there are a lot but of opportunities in, out there. In tiny seed. So if people <laughs> wanted to, if people want to go to see Tiny Seed, sounds like you had a very positive experience. Any tips specifically trying to get into Tiny Seed? Oh, <laughs> join MicroConf Slack group. Maybe is one, eh? Well, that's uh, join that anyways, regardless of the yeah. funding. I would say, yeah. like, put your head a little bit above that. Um, evaluate different options like don't be like had uh, firmly set on like we're bootstrap and nothing else like consider the options that you have and then make your decision and either either journey deserves uh you know respect you can absolutely bootstrap the product but you can also put in a little bit of money as fuel on the fire and uh, grow a little bit faster so really depends on the product and niche you're in Okay, that's great. And aside from userlist.com, how can people uh, reach out and find you if they have any questions specifically for you? I'm on Twitter at UI Breakfast, and uh, my show and everything else personally is at uh, uibreakfast.com as, as my consulting site. But I don't oh. know any consulting these days. It's just podcast and You're full-time, yeah. Good. It's exciting. Okay. It's wonderful. I'm living the dream, really. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, we're so happy to hear it, Jane. Sounds like you've earned your um, rewards there with that. So congratulations on your success, and thanks so much for your time. Thanks so much, Jordi, for having me. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <music>